And I want to add my public thanks to Jim and Jenny for your ministry here uh, these last six months. Thank you. I have listened to all the sermons online and enjoyed. I've traveled with you to Caesarea. And um, it has been... The one time, a couple of weeks ago, I was here and I actually got to see him live. And that makes all the difference in the world. To... It's awesome. I love it. But even just listening, I could visualize. I felt like I was in Israel. So um, thank you for your ministry, uh, not just in preaching and teaching, but encouraging, uh, shepherding, leading, uh, and all the ways you have. And uh, I look forward to us having coffee and gleaning from your wisdom. So uh, your last six months here... Uh, in the ministry realm is the equivalent of making um, a full court three-point shot as the buzzer is buzzing to win the national championship. That's how good it was. Uh, uh, Against Carolina. Just, anyway. Well, thank you. Uh, We're delighted to be here. Um, and uh, ready to get going, get started. So if you would turn to Luke chapter 11, um, we've heard it, and now we want to think about it together in the time we have together. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Father, again... uh, The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that chases us down and fights till we're found and leaves the 99. Oh, that you would come after the likes of us and, and make these sinners your sons and daughters. It's unbelievable to reclaim uh, broken, washed-up people and make us signposts to point to King Jesus. Um, we are overwhelmed by your kindness to us. And we ask now that you would come, Holy Spirit, and help us uh, to understand your word and, and for it to have a transforming impact on our lives. Um, make us together the kind of mountain fellowship you dream for us to be. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to confess to you that uh, over the last few weeks and and as we've gotten closer to today, um, I've had some moments where I thought, oh my, uh, as I've thought about what uh, God has called me to, to come and, and and to help shepherd such a, a wonderful Jesus and people-loving, uh, spiritually gifted community uh, that Mountain Fellowship is. Um, last week, a couple of nights, I sleep like a rock, but uh, there are a couple of nights where I woke up and I thought, what are we, what are we, wait, 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 what are we doing? Pastor, oh no. Uh, <laughs> And seriously, I've, I've thought, Lord, I'm not equal to this task. 
I don't have what these good folks need. Um, what am I going to do? And the Lord's response has been, what do you mean, what are you going to do? Um, you're right. You're not equal to this calling. You don't have what these folks need. I do. These are my people. Psalm 77 at the very end says, uh, You, Lord, led your people out of Egypt by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And it's comforting to me to know we are his people. You are his people. Together we are his people. And he will do the leading. And to remember that he does it by the hand of people like Moses and Aaron. Have you read the Bible? Those two guys had some issues. I joined them. And so do you. Um, That God would use the likes of us um, to accomplish the mission he's called Mountain Fellowship to is amazing. Um, Someone once said that prayer is a declaration of dependence on God. And I keenly feel and am keenly aware of my need for him in ways that I've never been before as I join you today. Um, In this new chapter of Mountain Fellowship, um, we need to remind ourselves, and starting with me, that we need to depend on him. We need to make a declaration of dependence. And so what I want us to do is focus for the next couple of months on prayer uh, as individuals and as a church family. Uh, Because uh, as the prayer warrior missionary Hudson Taylor once said, God uses men who are weak and feeble enough, who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. It's the same of churches. God uses churches who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. Prayer is how we lean on him. It's a very practical way of declaring our dependence on God. So, uh, this series of sermons is going to be called A Praying Church. And uh, I would just want to give you briefly where we're headed so that you know where we are as we, as we move along. Uh, the first two sermons today and then two weeks from today, next week, uh, Brian Cosby from Wayside Presbyterian is going to be preaching as we have uh, the installation service. How, we're going to find out how many Presbyterians does it take to install a pastor. All right? And it takes a few. Um, so, but that's happening next week, which is a really exciting time. And um, Robbie Holt will be here to give the charge to me and to you. Uh, and some of their elders are coming with them. So, uh, so that's next week. Two weeks from today, uh, we'll, we're going to focus on the Lord's Prayer. We're going to briefly touch on it today, but talk more about the Lord's Prayer next week. The next five Sundays after that, we'll do a little uh, section called Real Life Prayers, and for the first four weeks, we're going to look at the book of Habakkuk together, Um, or as they say in Great Britain, Habakkuk. Um, So we're going to look at Habakkuk because it is a prayer, and we're going to look at how Habakkuk talked with God uh, in the midst of some very difficult circumstances. Um, And then the week after that, we'll look at Psalm 43, and that'll lead us to Easter Sunday. And I don't know what I'm preaching on Easter Sunday yet, so we'll find out. 
but after Easter, we're going to focus on two aspects of prayer as far as for the church. We're going to think about, first of all, what does Jesus pray for his church? And then we'll finish out with what did Paul pray for the churches uh, so that we can learn what it is we should be praying for uh, ourselves and other churches. So that's where we're headed. Um, so I want to say to you, Mountain Fellowship, as we move together into this next chapter of the story that God is writing in us and through us, uh, let's move into this new chapter with a deepened commitment to our mission and a deepened dependence on the God who gave it to us. So this is what Luke 11 1 through 13 is all about, so let's look at it. There's an outline on your sermon notes page. Uh, if you'd like to follow along that way, my apologies to all the grammar geeks out there for ending every one of these questions with a preposition. Get over it. So, here we go. The questions we're going to answer. What kind of mission are we called to? What kind of prayers and prayers are called for? And what kind of father do we call upon? Um, So let's start with verses 1 through 4. What kind of mission are we called to? Uh, The context for the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, some people actually say it's the disciples' prayer, since Jesus gave it to them to pray. Um, The context for the Lord's Prayer is the Lord's mission. Um, These disciples were about to embark on a mission that people in their own generation in the book of Acts would describe as having turned the world upside down. So it's important to think about what is the prayer Jesus gave these guys as he was about to send them on this mission? Uh, John Piper put it this way, the reason the Father gives the disciples the gift of prayer is because Jesus has given them a mission. So Piper says, I do not tire of saying to our church, the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of a believer is that they try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. He says, until you believe that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. He says, prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. Until you believe that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. And so... I want us to look at this first part, these first four verses, and and ask, what do we learn about the mission of Mountain Fellowship from from two things, the prayer pattern that Jesus gives us, and then the parable that Jesus tells to describe prayer. So real quickly, and I won't spend much time on the Lord's Prayer here, because in two weeks we're going to look at it in Matthew's version in in a little more detail. But the prayer pattern teaches us uh, to focus our prayers on the Father's purpose for the mission and on our participation in the mission. Look at, look at what he says. The prayer says, Father, um, your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come. It's about Jesus' Father's purpose for the mission. And it's a God-exalting mission. Your name be hallowed or glorified or made holy. It's a kingdom-advancing mission. It's about his kingdom coming, not ours, not Mountain Fellowship's kingdom, not the PCA's kingdom, but the Father's kingdom. So it's a God-exalting, kingdom-advancing purpose. 
And then he focuses on, the prayer focuses on our participation in it. Because it goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. So we get to be participants in the purpose God has for this mission. And so because we are participating, there's something we need. We need to be daily dependent upon God for three things. For provision. Give us this day. Give us each day our daily bread. Because we carry out the Father's mission in physical bodies. These bodies are the way we interact with the world. And so we need to ask for the resources necessary to accomplish our calling. We need to depend on God for our physical needs. Secondly, verse 4, we need to depend on God for peacemaking. He talks about forgiving God forgiving us and us forgiving others. And that's because we carry out God's mission as a church, as a community. Um, So we need to continue to keep short accounts with God and with one another. Uh, The mission to make disciples who love God and love people, that's relational. And so we need to be praying and depending on God daily for our relational needs. So physical needs, relational needs. And then he says, lead us not into temptation. So we not only need provision and peacemaking, but we need to depend on God for protection. Because we have an enemy. Uh, The world, the flesh, the devil. Um, And we carry out the Father's mission in the midst of spiritual conflict. You've got your own flesh, your own me-first heart that will fight against you loving God and loving people at every turn. You've got the world, this big me-first-hearted world that wants nothing to do with God's kingdom and doesn't want you to advance it. So we, we, Paul says, we fight not against flesh and blood, against humans, but against principalities and powers, forces of darkness. It's a spiritual conflict. And, and so our greatest enemy behind the scenes of the world and our flesh is the devil. So we need protection. So we're going to look at this prayer pattern more in a couple of weeks, but realize that uh, our mission is physical, it's relational, it's spiritual, and we need to be daily depending on God uh, for those things. But what I really want us to look at this morning a little closer is this parable that Jesus tells after he gives the pattern for praying. So I'm curious to know, in this parable, how does Jesus describe our mission? Well, let's look at it. Uh, First of all, the asking neighbor, um, the one who is asking his neighbor for bread so that he can give it to the friend who has shown up. Who does that asking neighbor represent? It represents the disciples of Jesus. It represents you and me. We are the ones who have someone coming to us with needs. We have nothing to offer, and so we go to someone who does. That's us. Well, what about the visiting friend? The one who, who shows up on the doorstep and says, Hey, can I spend the night? Can you feed me? Who is that person? Who do they represent? That person represents the people in the places God has put us. That person represents all the people 
that you run into in the places where you worship, work, live, and play. That person represents our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation. So, what do we learn about this? We learn that this God-exalting, kingdom-advancing mission is about people. It's about your neighbors. It's about the next generation. It's about the nations. It's about the people God has given you in the places God has put you. Someone once said that uh, as, as Christians, we are beggars telling other beggars where we found bread. That's a great description of our mission. We're beggars telling other beggars where we found bread. Come with me. I have found satisfaction for my soul. And I want you to enjoy it too. Come to Jesus. Um, In Mountain Fellowship language, we would say it this way. We who are being renewed by God are called by God to share God's deep gladness in renewing people, places, and things. And so we go, and since we have enjoyed God's gladness in renewing us, we join him in his mission to bring others into that joy as well. But we need provision for this mission. We have to ask ourselves, where am I going to get what I need to help me give my neighbor, the nations, and the next generation what they need? And so that's where that neighbor comes in, um, that the, the asking person is going banging on his door in the middle of the night. Can you help me? Give me some bread. Who does that person represent in this story? It represents the Father. It represents Jesus' Father. We'll, we'll get back to that in a minute. So the mission is a relational mission. It's about people. And so now we need to ask, what kind of prayers, people who pray, and what kind of prayers are called for in order for us to be people who uh, share with other beggars where we found bread. What kind of prayers, what what is the description Jesus gives of the asking neighbor? Here's some words that I've thought of that make me think about this guy who's desperate to get some bread to share with his friend. First of all, he's hospitable. He actually cares about people. He cares about his friend who's come to visit. And so it makes me ask myself, does my care for people manifest itself in prayer for people? He's asking on behalf of a friend that he wants to be hospitable to, that he wants to care for. Secondly, he's humble. He, He admits, I have nothing to set before this person who has come to me. I have nothing to set before them. Now, all of us may feel inadequate to care for people. I'm I'm sure most of us do feel inadequate to care for people. But the question is, does my sense of inadequacy drive me to throw up my hands in despair and say, well, since I can't help them, I'm not going to? Or does it drive me to my knees in prayer to beg God, give me what I need to care for these people you've brought into my life? He's humble enough to admit, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. 
And that's been my prayer lately. God, I've got, I've got nothing to give these people. You have got to do this. And it's the same with the people that God brings into our lives. Third, he was hungry. There was a desperation to serve, and there, therefore he desperately begs for help to serve. It makes me ask myself, how hungry am I to serve the people that God brings into my path? And how desperately do I go to God for the help I need to do it? And then he was hopeful. This is interesting. He believed that he would receive help, and he knows this neighbor has what he needs and will share it if he annoys him enough. Right? He believed that this neighbor had the resources, and he believed that this neighbor would give them if he would ask. He was hopeful. So it makes me think, do I really believe God will give me what I need to do what he's commanded me to do? I'm going to talk more about that one in a minute because I think that's a big question. Do I really believe that God has the resources and the willingness to share them so that I might do what he's called me to do in ministering to others? But of all the descriptions of, of this asking neighbor, I think the word helpless describes him best. There's a, an old book called Prayer by uh, a man, a, a pastor called Ole Hallisby. Anybody read that book? Prayer by Ole Hallisby? Okay, good. I'll introduce you to something. Um, listen to what he says about prayer. He says, prayer and helplessness are inseparable. Only those who are helpless can truly pray. Be not anxious because of your helplessness. Above all, do not let it prevent you from praying. Helplessness is the real secret and the impelling power of prayer. Thank God for the feeling of helplessness which he has given you. It is one of the greatest gifts which God can impart to us. He says, for it is only when we are helpless that we open our hearts to Jesus and let him help us in our distress according to his grace and mercy. So I have to ask us, when we think about the mission God has called us to, to be beggars who share with other beggars where we found bread, do we recognize our helplessness to accomplish that mission without God? And does it drive us to pray? So that's the kind of prayer that we're called to be. What kind of prayers does the mission require? How does Jesus describe the prayer of the asking neighbor in verse 8? Well, he says that uh, his prayer was impudent. Impudent. Funny old word that uh, originally meant rude. You know, an impudent person is that obnoxious person in the grocery line in front of you who's just bold and brash and demanding of the the cashier. It's the person that you sit back and judge. Go, oh, I would never be that way. That's an impudent person. They're shamelessly bold. Um, Jack Miller described this asking neighbor, the impudence of this asking neighbor, as shamelessly pushy. He was. It was late at night. 
He's over there banging on the door. And the guy says, go away. We're already in bed. Leave us alone. Come back tomorrow. No. Keeps banging on the door. And Jesus says, because of his impudence, that neighbor will finally say, okay, what do you want to get him off his back? But I think in that, Jesus is saying, you need to be shamelessly pushy in your prayers. Show a little zeal and zest and care for the people that God has brought into your life that you, that you want to give them something so much that you will bang on God's door in the middle of the night until He gives you what you need to give to those who need. And so that's why He says, He uses these words, ask, seek, and knock. And they're all uh, present imperatives. In other words, uh, they would be translated, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It's, it's implying that this kind of prayer is continual, habitual, persistent. Don't stop praying. Don't stop asking. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop knocking on God's door for the sake of your neighbors and the nations and the next generation. So then, if that is true, then what should characterize the prayers of this church? I know it's my first Sunday, but I'm going to go from preaching to meddling, all right? Wow, that was quiet. I'm preaching to myself, so just join in the fun here, okay? But I, I don't know. I haven't been around you to know. I know that you're a praying church, one of your four values that's written on this bulletin is prayer. And I've heard stories about your praying, but I, I haven't had the chance yet to witness it. So I'm just asking this. I'm not accusing or anything. I'm just asking, do we see this kind of shamelessly pushy praying for our neighbors and the next generation and the nations at Mountain Fellowship? Is it happening in our homes, our care groups, our uh, fellowship groups, our Bible study groups, our Sunday morning classes, our elders and deacons meetings. I don't know. And I need your help. And when we're together and we're talking about something, if I forget to, if it's appropriate and we have time to do it, if I forget to say, hey, maybe we should pray about that. Let's pray about that. Then say, hey, Preacher, you said we were supposed to pray about these things, so let's pray. If we have time on the spot, we'll do it. But I need your help. Um, would we describe ourselves as a church that keeps on asking, keeps on seeking, keeps on knocking, begging God for bread to give our neighbors? And what are the things that keep us from praying this way? Here's a couple of thoughts, a couple of questions I've asked myself about this. Do we not pray because we don't know our own helplessness? Jerry Bridges once said, We may assent to the fact that we depend on Christ, but if our prayer life is meager or perfunctory, we thereby deny that we depend on Christ. For me, the reason I don't pray is because I'm too sure of myself. It's like saying to God, don't worry, I got this. I don't need to call for help. 
Thanks. We got this. We don't want to be that kind of church where we're so gifted and resourced um, that we just forget to depend on God for what He's called us to be, called us to do. Do we rely on our gifts or on the giver? Or do we not pray because we don't see or care about our neighbor's hunger? Have we lost sight that our calling, our mission, is to be those beggars who show other beggars where they found bread? That would be a reason that we don't pray, is because we don't care. Or maybe it's this one, and this is where I want us to to finish. Maybe I don't pray because I've lost hope that my Father hears me and will give me what I need. Maybe my lack of prayerful dependence on God is because of what I believe or don't believe about Him. And so that's our last question. What kind of father do we call upon? Jesus said in the final verses of this passage, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now maybe on April Fool's Day, but no... What kind of father would do that? If you then who are evil, which shows that Jesus wasn't necessarily worried about their self-esteem, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What is Jesus saying about his father's heart? What is he saying about your father's heart? He's saying that your father loves you. And he wants to, he longs to give you what is best. He longs to give you what you need to accomplish his God-exalting, kingdom-advancing mission on this mountain. He longs to do that because he loves you. But the question is, what is it that we most need from him? What is the good gift that the Father wants to give us? Verse 13. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's the bread we need to shamelessly ask God to give us so that we can serve our hungry friends. At the bottom of that, at the bottom of that sermon notes page, I put a quote from Jack Miller as he was talking about this passage. He said, All the promises of Scripture find their root in the one supreme promise, the commitment of the risen Christ to impart the Holy Spirit as the power source for the church in answer to prayer. That's what Jesus is saying in this parable and in this teaching. He's saying, God, your Father, will give you the power source you need for the mission, the Holy Spirit, if you'll ask. If you'll seek, if you'll knock, you will receive him. He will give him to you. And if you get the Spirit, the Bible promises you get the Spirit's presence. He will be with you and in you. You get his perspective and his power. You'll be able to see the way Jesus sees. You'll have the resurrection power of Jesus inside you, in and among us as a body. And you get the Spirit poured out. He said, whoever comes to me, believes in me, drinks of me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. And that's what we want as a church. 
We want the presence of Jesus. We want the perspective and power of Jesus. And we want Him poured out. But notice the contrast between Jesus' description of the neighbor and Jesus' description of his father. The neighbor had the resources but was reluctant to give them to his friend until his friend annoyed him. And then he handed them over. But the father is different. The father has the resources and he rejoices to give them to his children whenever they ask. You see, it's what we believe about our Father's heart that will determine how passionately we will pray and ask Him to give us what we need to accomplish His mission. How can I be sure that God is my Father and that He will respond to my asking and seeking and knocking? Tim Keller very helpfully addresses this concern in his book on prayer. Listen to this. Jesus is... Keller says, Jesus is saying something wonderful and powerful in Luke 11. If earthly fathers who are sinful ordinarily want to make their children happy, how much more committed is our perfect heavenly father to our well-being and happiness? That means there has never been a parent on earth who wants joy for his or her children as much as your father in heaven wants joy for you, his child. There's never been a human father who wanted to answer his child's petitions as much as God wants to answer yours. Yet we know, he says, that God is not only loving but holy and just. Here's the question, Tim Keller says. How can he shower blessings down on sinful people who deserve the opposite? The answer is that Jesus got the scorpion and the snake so that we could have food at the Father's table. Jesus received the sting and venom of death in our place. The perfect Son received the poison so that sinful sons and daughters could receive the Holy Spirit and fellowship with the Father forever. When I was here in November, I preached to you from Romans 8, 31 and 32, which say, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, how would he not also with him graciously give us all things? He who did not spare his own son for you, Mountain Fellowship, If your biggest problem was rejection by God and your greatest need was to be reconciled from Him and God gave Jesus to meet that need and solve that problem, how much more would He give you the Holy Spirit to accomplish the mission He's called us to do? The reason we pray is because we have a Father who loves us because He gave us His Son and we now are His sons and daughters And we can ask and seek and knock. God, give us what we need 
to reach Signal Mountain. Give us what we need for your grace to overflow from this mountain and fill the valley. Give us what we need. And he delights to do it because of Jesus. On the front of your bulletin, I put this quote from John Newton. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. None can ever ask too much. That picture on the front of the bulletin that Laura found is awesome because there's St. Francis praying and whether it's for real in his vision or whether it's in his imagination, if you look just beyond that tree, kind of there in the dark, there's Jesus hanging on the cross. And for me, that is a beautiful picture and reminder That when we pray, we must keep our eyes on Jesus crucified for us. Because that proves to us that our Father's heart is for us, not against us. That proves to us that when we ask for what we need to accomplish the mission He's given us, He's already given Jesus. What else is He going to withhold from us? Let's pray. Father God. Thank you. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, receiving the serpent and the scorpion that we deserve, uh, that you did not deserve, so that we can now receive fellowship with the Father and you and your Spirit that we don't deserve, that we can now be participants in your mission so that we can now share God's deep gladness in renewing all things. Wow. Thank you for that. And as we come to your table, would you, would you show us Jesus crucified? Show us, um, show us Jesus crucified and may this fuel our prayers in the months and years to come. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.